Today, though, we're in the book of Acts. I couldn't, couldn't leave it go. Uh, book of Acts, victory no matter what, through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so that's what we've been focusing on. And today's title is God is Sovereign. God is Sovereign, past, present, and future. God is Sovereign. <clears throat> Acts 25, 1 through 12. So here we are at Christmas, and some of us are having tough Christmases, as we already know that. Maybe right now you're going through a hard time. It reminded me, Kim and I were talking about 17 years ago. We had, right around this time, about a week before this, we had 10 kids at that time, and Kim found out that she was pregnant. And it was all exciting, not found out 20 weeks before this. And so right around now, she went to the doctor for her 20-week checkup. And everybody's all excited. It was halfway point. You know how exciting that is, the halfway point. And we had 10 kids, and we're going to have another one. And it was all exciting. And uh, she gets to the doctor. They did the ultrasound. And she said, the doctor said, you're going to have twins. But they're not going to survive. We don't know how much longer they're going to live. And it was a real shock. So here we were sitting with, she's, Kim is sitting with twins, not knowing any moment that could be it. And two weeks later, just before Christmas, I'll never forget it, just before Christmas, she lost the babies. Traumatic. Traumatic. And I know lots of you have traumatic, painful memories around Christmas. Well, the first Christmas was pretty traumatic too, wasn't it? Remember Dave Adams last week was talking about that. Uh, she, Mary had to walk 90 miles. No donkey. Uh, she, uh, she, uh, I said when he was going to preach, I go, don't touch the donkey, Dave. Don't touch the donkey. You know? <laughs> but he did. He, he messed with the donkey. Uh, no donkey. Uh, Jesus was born in a manger. Trust me, that is not a good thing to happen. It's not a fun place. I remember when I was a kid growing up on the farm, I was like, Maybe three or four. I don't remember the age, but I remember exactly I remember it happening. I was walking near the manger, and the cows would be standing there, and right in front of them would be this cement manger that we would put the food into, the, the grain and the hay. And, and, and I, one time I was walking too close to it. I slipped, and I fell into the manger. Now, once you fall into the manger, the cows think anything that hits the manger, they try to eat it quickly. You know, they're going to eat it. So this cow, I never two of them were starting to, like, roll me over and lick me and roll me over and lick me. And I'm trying to get out, and they're licking me. And I finally crawled out of the manger covered with cow slime, you know. You ever see a cow's tongue? It's not pretty, all right. It was, it, the, the, the manger is not a pretty place, and yet that's where Jesus was born. But the worst for Jesus, the worst part for baby Jesus was still to come. We know the wise men came and, and they bought the presents, which was great. But then King Herod puts out a hit on him. He tries to hunt him down and tries to kill Jesus. There was a miraculous escape to Egypt. That was horrible, right? And, and, and this was all a prophetic picture. The hunting for Jesus, killing baby Jesus, wanting to kill him, was all a prophetic picture because Jesus would be persecuted his whole ministry, right? And finally, he would be killed on a cross. It was all a prophetic picture. He was born to die. Christmas is awesome, but why was he born? To die. 
That's why he came. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He came to die on a cross in our place to pay for our sin that if we will believe in him, put our faith in him, our trust in him, give our life to him, we can have eternal life. That's why he came. And this was, this was uh, prophetic, what happened to Jesus, and also what we're going to see with, for Paul. It, this is also, well, what happened to Jesus was also prophetic, what we're seeing happening to Paul, right? He's hunted and going to finally be killed. I gave away the end of Acts. He, uh, uh, yeah, he's going to be killed. It, it, it's prophetic for all the apostles. All the apostles except for Judas, they were all martyred. They were all killed for their faith, except for John, who was, they tried to kill him. They tried to boil him in oil. He didn't die. So they put him out on the island of Patmos, right, where he wrote the book of Revelation, but uh, it's, and it's, this is true of all true followers of Jesus Christ. We are going to be hated by the world, hated by the world, and yet there's God's purpose. God's perfect purpose is being accomplished. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for your word now as we go into it and pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us, Lord. And if anybody has never put their faith in Jesus, truly put their faith in Jesus Christ, that today would be that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we come to now trial number two. We already saw Paul's trial number one with Governor uh, Governor Felix, and now a new guy takes over, Governor Festus. This is trial number two. And let's pick it up. um, uh, Well, we'll read the passage first. You know what? Uh, Caroline, I'm just going to read the first five verses. So instead of the first 12, all 12, I'm just going to go right to that next passage, okay? So Acts 25, the first three, five verses I'm going to read, first of all, where we see the apostate Jewish religious leaders are plotting again against Paul. Listen, let's, let's see when they do this plot here. Uh, three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested that Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. <clears throat> so we see them plotting again, and they gave him an urgent request. Urgent. Uh, I'm sure it was urgent, because remember earlier, a couple, two years earlier, those 40 assassins who said, we won't eat or drink until we kill Paul. Remember that? Well, they're getting mighty thin by now and mighty thirsty, right? So they're urgent. Yeah. <laughs> they obviously didn't keep that right? after not eating for two years. But they want to move him from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Now, I've been in Caesarea. Some of you have been in Caesarea, right? I brought a couple of my pictures here. I grabbed, took them out of my old book. Uh, the first picture... Is it behind me? Oh, it's there. Okay, okay, good. Caesarea by the sea. Okay, Ben Caesarea. And uh, the next one is famous for the aqueduct still there all those years later. The Romans knew how to build. All right. Uh, The aqueducts are right there. And also... A famous statue. You know, we have Rocky in Philadelphia. In Caesarea, they have... Oh, no, that's me. But anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. But anyway, uh, but then... They wanted to move from there, 60 miles away to the sea, the Mediterranean, to Jerusalem. 
And here's the picture I took of Jerusalem, and it's probably changed even more since 30-some years ago I took that. But uh, just a beautiful, beautiful city. But they wanted to move him there. Uh, but Festus doesn't fall for it. He doesn't fall for it. He says, I will see you by the sea, right? Yeah, he doesn't fall for their, their plot here. And so I'm going to see you by the sea. The enemy is always plotting. Wanted to kill baby Jesus, wanted to kill big Jesus, which God allowed, wanted to kill Paul, which God is going to allow. He, the enemy wants to take us out also. He's always looking to take us out. That's why it's vital to be on our guard. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That's who we are fighting against. That's who our enemy is. It's not some politician. It's not some bully. It's, it, we're, 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 the enemy is looking to take us out. So Paul then gives his defense, and starting with verse 6, we see Paul's defense. After spending... Eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. <clears throat> I am... One too many pages. I am... I'm going to use that. <laughs> I have done... Nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. My version says I am innocent. He says I am, uh, well, anyway, he says I'm innocent. I've done no wrong. I'm innocent before the Jewish law and the temple and with Caesar. And that's what Paul says. He's innocent. The, the law and the temple, first of all. He's, he says he was innocent. He didn't do anything to, to defile the temple. He didn't do anything to uh, break the law. He was completely innocent. You know why? He was innocent because he had put his faith in Jesus Christ, who had fulfilled both of them. He put his faith in Jesus, who had fulfilled them both, with the temple. Jesus, what was the purpose of the temple? That's where they did the sacrifice. They sacrificed the lamb, and the sins would be paid for. And once the lamb was sacrificed, they could then go have a relationship with God. The high priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies and approach God. That was the whole purpose of the temple. And what did Jesus do? He was the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He fulfilled the temple and brought us into a relationship by being the Lamb who was sacrificed, gave His blood in our place. That's what happened. Jesus fulfilled that. And, and now we could go into the Holy of Holies anytime. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find, find grace in our time of need. We can come into God's presence anytime. And Jesus also fulfilled the law. He lived a perfect life, which the law demanded. And then he died to fulfill the penalty of the law. Because he had never broke the law, he could pay the penalty himself in his own body. He could fulfill the penalty of the law. That's what he's talking about in Matthew 5:17, when Jesus said, <clears throat> Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to, to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He fulfilled the law. That's what Jesus did. And, and it's also interesting that 
Paul is not only accused of breaking the, the, the temple and the law, but also Caesar, you know, going against Caesar. But it's the same thing they attacked Jesus for, right? It's the same thing, breaking the law, which he never did. It was man's laws he was breaking, not the true law. And, and also, claim, they said he claimed to be a king over Caesar, which Jesus never claimed. The same accusations. But Paul, like Jesus, is innocent with Caesar also, which is why he, Paul outsmarts his enemies. It leads, the Holy Spirit leads him to do something in, uh, starting with verse, Acts 25, verse 9. Or it says, I'm going to read this here. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. However, if I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. He appeals to Caesar. That's like appealing to the Supreme Court. And he has that right as a Roman citizen. And his case is accepted. He is sent to the Supreme Court. Paul knew that the only place where he would be safe from these Jewish assassins was here. He knew it was the only place was in Caesar's court. And he knew it was the only place where he would be safe to fulfill God's call on his life, God's purpose for his life. He wasn't just trying to avoid being killed. He knew he had a purpose, a prophetic purpose. Remember Acts 9, 15 to 16. should have it memorized by now. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Talking about Paul. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he said, I've, he's already gone to the people of Israel, and now he's going to the Gentiles and their king. He's going to the top king. He's going to the very top, to Caesar. Paul knew he was called to share the gospel with the Gentiles and their kings. And he knew he was going to suffer and die. That was pro- prophesied about him. But he went anyway. He went anyway. He knew it was God's purpose for his life. Just like Jesus. Jesus knew he was born on Christmas. He knew he was born to die for us. He said it many times. He prophesied his own death. Not only was it in the Old Testament, but he prophesied it. He said, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise after three days. I'm going to die for your sin. Kept saying it over and over. Many times he predicted it. Paul like Jesus Christ, was fulfilling God's sovereign purpose for his life. Jesus knew his purpose was to to die for our sins and rise again, just as he said. Paul knew his purpose was to suffer, was to to speak before Caesar and and, and, and the, the Gentiles, and then he knew he was going to die. He was fulfilling God's sovereign purpose. God's sovereign purpose. We see it here in Acts with Paul's call. Paul, the last guy you would have thought God would call, right? Paul's call and his ministry and even his death was God's sovereign purpose. 
<clears throat> we saw it with the Christmas story. God's sovereign purpose. The miraculous birth. The amazing prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So many of them. Incredible. And then with his life and his ministry and his death and resurrection. He was fulfilling prophecy, but he was also fulfilling God's sovereign purpose for his life. God's sovereign purpose. God has a sovereign purpose for our lives too. For each person here, God has a sovereign purpose. It's no accident that you are sitting here listening to this sermon, or if you're out there in your car or wherever you are hearing this, it is no accident that you're listening somewhere. God has called you. Called you. God has saved you. God has sanctified you. God has turned your mess. How do I know you're a mess? Because I'm a mess. We're all a mess. God has turned our messes into a message of his mercy and grace. Every one of us. That is God's sovereign purpose. And God has a sovereign purpose for our lives, for our church, for our country. For the world, God has a sovereign purpose. The world, so many people think, that's crazy, it's out of control. The world might seem out of control, but you know what? God is still in control. He's still in control. In Psalm 11, verses 3 and 4, listen what it says here. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Anybody feel like that? (laughs) Especially in our country, right? When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. God is still on the throne. Doesn't matter what happens to our country. God has a purpose. But God is still on the throne. His eyes examine them. What are his eyes doing right now? Rolling. His eyes are rolling. He's rolling his eyes. What do these people think? What do they think? They're in control? Uh-uh. God is still on the throne. In the USA Today, the USA Today is a lot like Israel at the time of the first coming of Jesus' birth. It was chaos. If you know anything about history, it was complete chaos. But that was preparing God's people, Israel, for the first coming. That's why it was chaos. It was preparing them. And we're seeing the same thing in the United States today. We are seeing increasing chaos. But we know that this is preparing us for the second coming. It's preparing us for that. God is preparing his people. He's trying to take our eyes off the world. Taking our eyes off the world and put our eyes on our hope in Jesus Christ. That is God's purpose. You get that? He's taking our eyes off the world. He wants us to focus on our hope in Christ. In fact, in Luke 21, in Luke 21, verse 26, it says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Sound familiar? For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and glory. When these things begin to take place, begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. When we see all these crazy things happening, Matthew 24, here we see in Luke 21, when we start to see it, we know our redemption is close. 
We start to focus on Jesus coming again. And then in verse 34, he says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Be careful. If we're unaware, we let life close in. We let things distract us. It can trap us. God is separating. He is separating his people from the world. We talked a lot about the separatists when they were getting ready to become pilgrims and come to the new world. You know, the same thing is happening. God is separating us. But now we have nowhere to go there's no new world there's only one last, last place unless they get these spaceships going yeah you know, and even then yeah you know, there's really nowhere to go you know our, our, our we we only have one place to look forward to now it's heaven that's the only place left for us is is heaven and god is preparing his people for that i don't know if you saw this study this week came out 40 percent of all americans believe we are in the end times People know, those who are looking for Jesus know we are in the end times. Are we prepared this Christmas for the second coming? Are we prepared for that? You know, I, I want to encourage you, don't get mad at the world for the attacks. Don't get mad for the, because of the hostility coming towards Christians now. It is upsetting. I do gotta catch myself, you know, fretting or something. But listen, they're doing us a favor. They're doing us a favor. They're fulfilling God's sovereign purpose. God's sovereign purpose for his church right now, he wants to get us out of the world and get the world out of us. Got that? He wants to get us out of the world and get the world out of us. And, and he's using all of this to, to, let that, to make that happen. And don't get mad at God for the trials that he sends into our, our lives. Look for God's positive purpose. We've been through this a lot, haven't we? And the main one, the main purpose of our trials is to take our eyes off of the world and refocus our eyes on the next world. To refocus our eyes on heaven, to refocus our eyes on Jesus Christ, and that's what that's what God is doing, and He has to do it because what do we focus on? What what what, do we focus on? God's word every morning, and we focus on that. That's what drives us. Or do we get up and go check the news? First, do we do we go check our stock stocks? How our stocks are doing? Do we do that? You know, do do we go check out the scores? How did our team do? How, you know, how, how, how are they doing? You know, you know it, 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 it's, cra- it's crazy. I, you know, I heard a crazy rumor that some people were skipping church today for the World Cup soccer. Can you? I mean, you know, I heard that crazy rumor. I know nobody here, but I've met a lot of churches. The pastors are nervous about that because the World Cup is going on right now. Now, I, I watched a few games. You know, I watched a few games. I used to like soccer, but then when I was playing that European, go backward, go backward, go backward. Yeah, I, I lo- they lost me there. But I loved the American style forward, right? But anyway, I watched a few games. And after the games, they showed the, the winning people were all happy, but the losing people crying crying they're crushed they're depressed they're not going to be able to function until the olympics come and they have a chance to really do it was crazy they're crying they're they're crushed over kicking a ball into a net 
Think about that. Is it, I mean, is it, it's sad that for so many people in the world, they live for this. That's what they live for. That's their idol. That's what they get their satisfaction from, their meaning from. They, they've identified so closely with it. But, you know, it's empty. Except for one team. It's empty. And even that team, after a couple of days, it's going to be empty again. It's empty. It doesn't... Who won the last couple? Who knows? Who cares, right? It, it, it's total emptiness. It's an idol. Can you believe these people all over the world? No, we don't because we don't like soccer, you know? Yeah, yeah. We, can you believe that? Uh, actually, uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about another football team, you know, American football. Uh, some pastors, I talked to some pastors this week, concerned about the other football team because the Eagles are playing on Christmas Eve. They're playing on Christmas Eve, and they and the they're, these guys, these poor pastors, are concerned. They, I bet some people aren't going to come. We're not going to have that many people on Christmas Eve because everybody's going to be watching the Eagles, you know. And and I, I told them, not at New Hope Community Church. <laughs> We're Giants and Jets and Bills fans. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I said, I'm sure nobody at my church would skip a Christmas Eve service for a dumb football game, right? Amen. amen. Everybody, amen. I, I, I mean, I mean, but really think about it. I it, think about it that we would put, and I'm, I'm, I'm having fun with this, but it's true. We put football, or soccer, or anything over our relationship. With Jesus Christ over worship. We're going to worship a football. That's what it is. We're going to worship a football team or any soccer team, whatever. whatever. Lots of things, right? We'd worship that or let anything keep us from worshiping the one true God. It's crazy, right? It, it, it's sad. It's empty. And God, but you know what? We're prone to this, aren't we? God is constantly having to pry our eyes off of this planet Earth. Our fingers, he's constantly having to pry our fingers off of something or someone, right? I just named a couple of things. We can all think of, we can all think of a lot. Our top ten idol list, right? Prying our fingers off of the world. And just, just think about Christmas morning. What do we do on Christmas morning? We all get together and read our Bibles and talk about baby Jesus. No, it's all run down the stairs and it's presents and it's food and it's more football and it's, you know, basketball. And it's, 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 it's anything but Jesus. Right. Just saying, uh, you know, but but that's what God has to constantly. What if we had that same attitude, that Christmas Morning attitude. We can't wait to get down and get our friends. What if we had that same attitude towards God's word? Not just Christmas morning. I know it's crazy. It's a zoo. It's especially at our house. You know, it's a zoo. But 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 every day, if we had that same attitude, that Christmas spirit for God and His word, can you imagine? That that's what that's where we should be, right? Should be the first thing we think about in the morning. God is constantly having to refocus us. And 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 Philippians three twenty says this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's that's what we're eagerly awaiting. That's what we're refocusing, and that's what what God is using his sovereign purpose and the chaos and the craziness and, and the trials in our life. He wants to refocus us on heaven. Are we focused? 
on heaven in Jesus Christ this Christmas. And, our, and maybe you're here and you're not ready for the second coming because you never acted on the first coming. You're not ready because you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that you will do that today. That no one will leave this room. That no one will, wherever you are watching this, that no one will, will let this day go by without putting your faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? Will we surrender to his sovereign purpose? Will we let go of the world? Not that we can't enjoy the things of the world, but in their place. Something can be fun, but it can't be our purpose, our life, our, our what brings us joy and peace and Is our relationship with Jesus everything to us? No matter what happens, the disappointments in life, and there are going to be a lot of them, no matter what the disappointments in our life, they don't touch our joy and our peace. They can't touch it. Is that true of our life? We can be disappointed but not crushed, struck down but not destroyed. Persecuted but not abandoned because we know we have Jesus in that relationship with him. Looking forward to his second coming. Eyes off the world, eyes on Jesus. And maybe here today, and you still need to act on the first coming. You're not ready for the second coming because you need to act on the first. You've never truly put your faith in Jesus Christ. But today can be that day that you receive a gift. Not a gift that you get at Christmas that you're bored with after two or three days, but a gift that goes from now and forever. The gift of life. Real life now and eternal life forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In your heart, you can have that life right now by putting your faith in Jesus. The simple prayer of faith. God, I don't want the sin anymore, the garbage anymore, the world anymore. I walk away from it. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. You have put your faith in Jesus, received his mercy and grace, then you've just received a gift that is unbelievable, that you will be unwrapping every day and still never get 
to the root of it, the love of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, if you put your faith in Jesus, that you tell somebody. Before you leave here, tell somebody. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Tell a family member. Tell a friend. Tell someone. Don't let this day go by without letting somebody know so that we could be excited for you and encourage you. Father, I pray for every one of us that we would know real life in Jesus Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.